Receive. Be careful. Yeah, I know. I just it's like you know what? Well, let's let's open this up and let's get some questions going around. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that's what we got. Yeah, the floodgates open, and uh, we sure got our questions. So that's good. That's good. We get some interaction going tonight and uh, answer some questions that people have uh, that are wondering about. Uh, things are good for you. Things are uh, things are pretty good. They're busy, but they're good. How about you? Oh, not too bad. Uh, feedback and, and response, and I don't mean to toot my own horn here, but the, uh, the recent piece I did on the Calcio Consultant. Yes, it was very good. Footballindex.com to cover the next wave of great Italian managers. Uh, you know, if you have not read that, go to footballindex.com. It's the, uh, it, it, as of now, is the front piece on the Calcio Consultant blog. I have not put together anything new, so uh, do give that a read. You'll get some insight on Massimo Carrera and what he's doing as part of Moscow. Gianpaolo and Sampdoria, uh, Francesco Roma, uh, Simone Inzaghi and Lazio, and of course, Lizio Sari and Napoli. It's funny because uh, every single one of those managers must have read your blog because they all performed the, like right after the blog came out. So uh, kudos to you and for the managers for paying attention and uh, playing up to uh, expectations. Especially Carrera. Yeah. Uh, three months left to be in the championship. 5-1, yeah. I thought that was pretty sweet when I... Yeah, I had to go to right away and say, by the way, he's a feature in my there's, there's no, There's no truth to the rumor that he was blowing you kisses after that fifth goal. <laughs> uh, I can't see that to probably be the season that Juventus two years ago, I guess, when they started out very slowly. Um, that's what would be my guess, but I could be wrong. Could have been that, or it could have been when they were sitting in setting B all the way back then. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Couchy, so, uh, but that's what we had on our plate uh, in uh, Serie A at the weekend, and it uh, was on Saturday between Napoli and Inter, and it will kick off our recap of match week nine. Uh, Inter... Uh, you know, in a way, the one of the surprise packets of uh, the Serie A season. Nobody really knew what to expect from Luciano Spalletti. A lot of thought that maybe he would galvanize uh, this injured team, but not to the extent where he would have him second. Uh, Napoli just playing blistering lights out football under Maurizio Sarri, arguably uh, some of the most attractive football uh, in Europe. Uh, Inter doing it with some defending. Uh, so, you know, certainly something had to give, and, you know, nothing really gave. <laughs> no. Um, you know, it, it, a match where uh, 
he might have expected goals. He might have expected a spectacle. The two best players in the game were uh, Samir Andanovic and Inter and Pepe Arena of Napoli because this game ended nil-nil. Yeah. Uh, at the San Paolo, we have no leg of Serie A sound for this one. Sadly, we thought we'd be uh, giving that little workout for this game. Um, but just to kind of go over some of the numbers in this game, it, it, I, it, we have to pick one goalkeeper over the other for man of the match. Richard, clearly it was Handanovic for the Yes, uh, without, without a doubt. Not, it's not to take it away from Pepperino, but Handanovic had to make bigger saves, and he made more of them. Certainly a little bit more under siege, not really enjoying a little bit more of the possession in this game as they typically do when they play at the San Paulo. Uh, you know, doubling up on the shots here against Inter, 14 to seven, uh, six of them on target, where Hanovich made six important saves in the game. Um, and uh, you know, really a game that not really controlled, but uh, you know, point games for Inter, would you say, versus? Uh, is that, is, does that not weigh the two points that not really just dropped here? Or in the end, do you think both of these teams are happy with this point? Oh, I think both teams are happy, but I think the slight advantage goes to Inter. One, you're playing a first-place team, and you drew them. You did not lose at their home. Two, you drew them at their home. Um, that's a tough place to play. Um, and Inter, they showed that they, you know, they could take the pressure that Napoli was throwing at them, you know, attack after attack. Um, and they found, and they could also counterattack and had opportunities of their own. So, you know, it wasn't. It was Napoli had the advantage of possession in this game, but. Uh, Inter certainly had their opportunities to take the lead several times, so uh, it, was a, it was a good game for Inter, I think. I give them the slight advantage. Um, Napoli here, uh, first time they've been uh, kept out of kept, you know kept out of their opponent's goal uh, all season long. You throw in all the competitions. Uh, blow it up, blow it up. Yeah. <laughs> so we actually have to take this time now to go to the. Uh, uh, Projection counter here for Napoli. Uh oh. Right now. Uh oh. Um, I have a feeling that it is going to uh, drop a little bit. Plummet. Um, so they have 26 goals on the season through nine games. That is a pace for just under 110 goals. Oh. From 124. They were at 138 at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I wonder. I wonder if. I wonder what, I wonder what he named his kid. Was it Dries? Was it Merrick? Was it uh, you know Lorenzo? <laughs> <laughs> Jose. Jose Maria. I don't know. Could be Diego. Could be Diego. Could be. Could be after the man himself. <laughs> Hi, James. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but not fully. Uh, but looking ahead, though, they got Genoa and Sassuolo up ahead, so that number could go back up. Chance to get healthy, absolutely. And I think, well, let's, you know, we're going to jump into those, obviously, general way. Sassuolo at home before uh, the return match against Manchester City. Um, first, uh, on Napoli, and we do have a question from one of our listeners about Napoli, we will yes. tackle that one. But um, scale of 1 to 10, a, a fixture, give, give me a scale of 1 to 10 on how you would rate Napoli. Roma away getting the win, Manchester City away you know, narrowly losing, really, because they had chances to get something out of it. And then the draw at home against the scale of 1 to 10, how good is that for Napoli in terms of, you know, their image as a, you know, as a team that can navigate through this kind of uh, uh, picture? 
I mean, that's as difficult a three-game stretch as you can have in Europe. Um, and, you know, a win, a win at Roma, you know, barely losing to Manchester City if it wasn't for somebody missing a penalty kick, and then a draw at home against Inter. Out of 10, I would probably give that, hmm, that's, you know, against the, given the opponents, I'd give them like an 8, maybe 8.5, just because they are quality opponents, and you did very, very well in all of those. So, um Leave nothing to hang your head hang your head down on or hang your head down on because you did very well. Uh, I'm not gonna give them a ten. I'd give them a ten if they had won all three. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, correct, but they, they were impressive in all three. So I got I'll give me eight and a half. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to a seven and a half. I, I expect them to be enter. Um So I will I will deduct the points from your total for that. I, I, this is an interesting to me that is finding what you know that. You know, like we said, Valencia is galvanizing. But I mean, in reality, you look at some of these results and you look at how some of these games have flowed. They have found a way to get their points here. Yep. Uh, you know, which might be the mark of a big team, but it might be a might. It's also the mark of a team that is that is starting to get exposed at some point. Not really just didn't expose them like I, I thought maybe they would. The gamble of not playing Jorginho in the Champions League game and saving him for the uh, game against Inter didn't completely pay off there. Uh, and Simeon kind of lived into this one. He took a knock in the City game. He, he still played. Um, I want to say he was substituted for Marco Rog uh, late on in this game uh, against Inter. Uh, yes, he was. Uh, uh, yes. Talking about Alan? Yes. Uh, no, actually, it was Anas who came on for Rog came on for uh, Alan. That's correct. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm going to knock the point just because I thought that even even with everything, even with this picture list, the win over Inter uh, was, was was probably more reasonable. So uh, we do have a question from one of our listeners uh, at Bob Lex. Uh, I'll let you answer this first. Okay. Uh, are Napoli prioritizing the league over Europe? What do you say? I don't know if they are intentionally, but I would. Uh, you have all these players who made a pact to stay with the team this year to try to win the Scudetto, and you know if that's if that's if that's going into the season is what their goal is, they should focus on that. Um, yes, if you know if you do well in your in, in Champions League, if you start getting a role, maybe you can shift your split your attention both ways. But I would say for sure they should be prioritizing on the league because this is the best chance of, as any that any team has had to beat Ju- Juventus in the season. Um, so why not throw all your chips in and go for it? I know during the Europa League, Champions League game, they rested Alan and Jorginho, I believe, or something. So, I mean, that kind of signals to me that they're they're prioritizing the league. What do you think? I'm going to say it's inconclusive. Okay. Um, and I'm going to say, and here's why. You know, you get into a pilot like this with, with three daunting opponents in the space of eight days, and you have to do some sort of team management. Yeah, you know? yeah. And the only th- my criticism of Sari in the Manchester City game is I would have played Alan from the start. Yes. Um, and I would have had, you know, Hamstick in that midfield. I, I would have gone a lot over uh, Zielinski. And, uh, you know, my reasoning for that is because now you have that extra midfielder that can do some ball winning and do some dirty work. I don't quite, I'm not quite convinced that Zielinski is that kind of player. And, you know, Manchester City <laughs> came out and just, the way that game began, it looked like City were going to walk away with the <laughs> Yeah. He introduced a lot. You know, Napoli started taking control of the game, especially in the middle of the park. They were generating some chances. Now, yes, some yeah. of that was Guardiola, you know, maybe backing some things off on the city side because they had the three points, they had the lead, they were hanging on to that. But 
I would have liked to have seen that combination of Elan and Diawada together, um, with maybe Hamsik having a little bit of freedom uh, going forward. Yeah. Uh, you know, in that game, um, and then I, you know, would have you know gone with a Alan, uh, you know, Dielinski, Hamsik, or excuse me, Alan, Jorginho, Hamsik midfield. Uh, you know, you know, again, Inter, and then you know, make that substitution. That's the only real criticism that I have here. And, and that's why I say it's inconclusive. And he probably made the decision that, look, I'm going to have to have my tacklers in that, you know, in the Manchester City game, or I'm going to, you know, go with this sort of thing in the Manchester City game, knowing that I can, I think I can beat them at the San Paulo. I got Shakhtar coming. I think I can beat them. And my last game is at Bayonard. I think I, I can get my points there. And then uh, really have it, have it wrapped up in the intergame. So, uh, so for me, it's inconclusive. I think, like I said, with this kind of fixture pilot, you have to anticipate some degree you know, of man management going on there. And they probably made the decision, and this decision was made probably after the Roma game. Jorginho, I'm not playing you in Manchester. You're going to be on the trip, on the, on the plane. Uh, you're going to be on the substitute bench, but don't count on me using. So, um, so I think that this was already, you know, that that was already premeditated. Like I said, if I had to make a, uh, uh, a change, I would have played a lot from, a lot from the start in the... Uh, the champion All right. Now you said it's inc- your your thoughts are inconclusive as to what which they should prioritize. In your opinion, which one do you think should they prioritize, if any? I'm always a believer that if you're in, I, I'm always a believer that you go out and you try to win everything you possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. I think you, as the season goes on, you know, you do eventually get to a point where you say, okay, it's not sustainable for us to continue to do this, and we're going to have to. You know, sacrifice some competition just for the overall health of our players. If you have injuries that pile up, you know, if your squad starts to get a little thin, uh, you know, and things like that, where something like the Coppa Italia all of a sudden doesn't have a lot of importance, you know. Um, you know, the days where, you know, the last couple of years, the Europa League winner now goes to the Champions League. So yeah. teams are taking the Europa League more seriously. So you kind of figure out where you have to cut your losses. And I don't necessarily think um, Saudi is not prioritizing the Champions League. I, I could understand people feeling that, yes, we're going for the Scudetto, we want to be throwing Juventus. I totally understand that sentiment, but I'm also a believer if, if you're in a competition, you're, you're in it to win it, you know, and if you're in, if you're chasing four trophies, you're, you're trying to win four trophies. Chasing yeah. three trophies or a treble, you're trying to chase the treble, and you're, you're, you, you go for every single one until, you know, either you're eliminated or you just realize that it's just not sustainable, and then you make your sacrifices in October is just way too early to make a decision on whether yeah. to prioritize Scudetto or a champ. I think, and I think a big stick about Syria too is that they don't take the Coppa Italia serious enough. I mean, you look at Germany, the DFB Pokal is high priority. Yeah, you look at uh, Spain, Copa del Rey is a high priority. But it seems like in Italy they don't take this trophy because I remember all those years when Milan was, you know, in contention for Champions League and, and Scudetto. Every time uh, Kobe Tele came along, they put the worst lineup possible because they're like, we don't care. We're just going to save our bodies. I'm like, what do you just win everything? What, why can't you just win everything? So, you know, stop dismissing the Kobe Italia. It's a trophy. If it's there to win it, win it. Yep, yep. Totally agree with you there. So, you know, that's our take at Complex on, on Napoli. Uh, we, you know, sure, it would be sweet for them to win this whatever, but I think it's too early to see, to really conclusively determine if they're prioritizing one or the other. You know, if they end up finishing second in this group and then they end up drawing a PSG or somebody where they say this is going to be very difficult, then you might start seeing that that happen. But, uh, you know, go, go for everything. Uh, that's, that's just where I'm at with it. So, uh, 
Um, and then uh, we're going to talk about Inter a little bit later on because they do have a big game on Tuesday. Yes. Uh, so, uh, but that's our wrap on Napoli Inter. What did you guys think of the game? And uh, what do you think about Napoli's Scudetto credentials? Uh, you know, after uh, an away win at Roma and a high profile draw against Inter, go to Atsedia sent down on Twitter or Instagram with your thoughts. Let's jump into the rest of this last week night's late. Yeah, Giampaolo. Um, you know, for all the all the lackluster or the lack of goals in that in the game that you we just mentioned, this game was far from it. At least one side, at least. Um, this matchup pitted you know sixth place Sampdoria hosting seventeenth place Crotone. Samp came into this off a high after last week's impressive win against Atalanta, while Crotone were riding a three-game unbeaten streak, which is impressive to say enough as it is. Crotone and three and unbeaten unbeaten streak. That's that's something that we don't say too often. Um, but something had to break, and unfortunately for Crotone, it was their back at the Marassi. Samp opened the scoring early in the third minute off a set piece. Lucas Torreira whipped in the free kick, and Gianmarco Ferrari outjumped everyone and pounded home a thunderous header. The former Cotone man refused to celebrate the goal out of respect. The camera panned over to uh, the owner of uh, Sampdoria, Massimo Ferrero, and the crazy Sampdoria owner could be seen doing the Macarena or Madonna's Vogue in the stands to celebrate. Frank, is he just batshit crazy, or do you like the sort of antics this guy has? I love this guy. <laughs> He's great for <laughs> He looks like a drunk. He looks like a drunk. You got a team that's you got a team that is just, you know, punching unbelievably above their weight with an excellent manager that knows how to organize them. Um, you know, go go do your dance, go enjoy it. This is a great run. Sampdoria has had a phenomenal. Yeah. And if I'm the owner, I'd be in there dancing too. And it's funny, his his looks like honest, genuine, his celebrations and stuff. Unlike, I remember, you know, a couple years ago, Crystal Palace uh, with their new owner and his look, everything staged and fake. And it's good to see something like this. But, I mean, he looks like a drunk out there dancing. I mean, it's funny, It's funny, but it's, it's. It, I mean, it's just funny. That's all it is. <laughs> To the play. Uh, just nine minutes later, Arlen Ayeti foolishly brought down Duven Zapata in the box. That resulted in a penalty, and only one man would step up, this, step up in this situation. Old man Fabio Quagliarella rocketed home a shot in the lower left corner. Nothing Alex Cordaz or anyone could have done about that. Um, just like that, it was 2 nothing. Minutes later, Crotone midfielder Ante Budimir looked to get on the score sheet as well. Unfortunately, he tried to score on his own team. Sampdoria took a free kick, and Budimir struck a header that clanked off the post right behind his own keeper, Cordaz. Um, I guess when it goes bad, you just want to score. It doesn't matter if it's your team or the other team, huh, Frank? Yeah, it's just uh, it's, it's crazy. Um, you know, when it rains, it pours. And in this case, for Crotone, it, uh, it, 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 uh, it was a torrential downpour. I couldn't, um, exactly. <laughs> you know, they've... Uh, Found ways to get results 
Uh, you know, and I mean, let's just say, I mean, Benevento at home, you know, it's fall away, it's fall got off to a nice start, you know, we'll talk about that in a little bit, the novelty with them is kind of wearing off, and then a Torino team that's just, you know, they're not the same without some of their guys that are out there, uh, without some of the guys out there like Pelotti. Um, it's a three-game unbeaten run, which is good for their standards, but then when you run into a team that's in the form of Sephoria, Something like this. Exactly, exactly. Um, if we forward now to the 30th minute, Zapata received a pass in the box, shrugged off a defender, got to the byline, and uh, passed a blistering cross over to uh, a wide open teammate. Gianluca Caprari couldn't miss from two yards out, and the score went to 3 nothing. That's how it would go into halftime. Though Crotone thought they pulled one back just before the stroke of halftime, Budimir decided to try to score on the other side, other other goal this time, and he had a powerful header that was parred away by Christian Pugioni. At least he was shooting in the right direction this time. Second half didn't start much better, or didn't start with a bang like the first half did, but in the 71st minute, some nice team play between Caprari and Dennis Pratt led to this. Pratt found Carolinetti all alone 12 yards from goal and calmly slotted home a right-footed shot to take the lead to four. Bad went to worse for Crotoni in the 76th minute. Adrian Stoyan played a ball back to his keeper and Cordas muffed the clearing. Uh, he gave it right to David Kavanicki, who was only like a couple yards away from him, and he scored seemingly with his first touch off the bench. The game would end with that. With, with that, that was the last goal of the game. It ended 5 nothing in a demolishing. Frank, was this a bit of confidence from the Atalanta match that destroyed Crotone, or more to do with ineptitude of Crotone? Oh, Sampdoria is just playing brilliantly right now, and I think you've got to give them credit. I mean. You know, you take a look at uh, the last four games. I mean, probably even amazing game out like we talked about last week. Beating Milan, beating Atalanta, beating Crotone. Um, you know, doing these things right now at the, you know, at the uh, Stadio Luigi Ferrari. Uh, you got the dancing owner going on right now. They have played, uh, they've played four uh, at the Stadio Luigi Ferrari, and they have won four. It's a fortress there. Yep. In that process, they have scored uh, 12 and only conceded two. Uh, this is this this is your team that this is your team that you're going to play this season. That when you see this fixture, Sampdoria away, you are going to hate it uh, because they they seem to be they seem to be protecting this place and they seem to be you know just playing on a whole different level when they're uh, when they're when they're at home. It's so good to see too. They're finally playing to our expectations. about that and just going forward they're so exciting and the, the, the beauty of them you know and Guardiola is getting them getting more of the goals two lots of pockets among the goals but they've got they've got so many different players that are capable of scoring that's just a, I know yeah Carol and Eddie popping up and scoring a couple of times here uh, Konachki got his first goal uh, you know Caprari now getting among the goals uh, and you know Ferrari getting a goal here to open things up so there's so many different ways um there's so many different ways that they can get you. Yeah. They're not, they're not, there's nothing exotic about what they do. It's a 4-3-1-2 formation. Uh, you know, they they lost pieces to that formation, and they plugged in. They put 
square pegs in square holes. Yep. And they just have, they, they click right along, and they have certainly been one of these stories of the Serie A season through these first nine matches. I could not agree more. That absolutely, they're uh, they're just such a joy to watch. Um, I was chatting with Chloe Beresford earlier on Twitter, and yeah, you know, both this team is just so fun to watch right now. They're scoring, they're scoring goals for fun. They're they're, they're almost unbeatable at home. Um, they're going to be a challenge for every single team in this league, and that includes all the big boys at the top of the table. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. I you know, looking forward to seeing what they can do. I think that they are the team that are going to upset somebody in that. Uh, entitled group of teams that think they're all going to Europe. <laughs> Somebody's somebody out of that group is getting bumped. I think somebody is going to Europe next, up, next season. It's just a matter of who they knock off. Which, as of now, it's Milan. Yeah. You know that can that can change as well. Based on current form, it may be more than one. This is with just one team. It could be more. <laughs> it could be absolutely. So, uh, you know, but we'll see. But yeah, congratulations to Sampdoria uh, Crotone. Boy, it's, it's not any easier for them. They travel to Roma now uh, at midweek, and then they've got Fiorentina. They have just got. Uh, <laughs> it's it's going to go from bad to worse for them. Uh, the soccer gods are not looking kindly on them. No, no, and we talked about them being the organization, and I think that this is going to be a, a stretch of games that they are. Uh, you know, they're really going to be. Uh, if they can get anything out of it, it's going to be a Absolutely. Um, so moving on, we get into the Sunday slate and. Uh, it's a good derby. Good derby. A good, an excellent derby, and uh, you made it. You, you, you certainly, given how this game played out, it was important that I did the narrating on it. Everybody listening to this would get uncomfortable and awkward and maybe a little squeamish, uh, and would probably turn the pot off. We want you to listen to the rest of it, so I will take the narration. Of this. It was Diego hosting Hellas Corona, and uh, there'll be an explanation. If you listen to this pod regularly, you'll know why. Who had come off the win over Benevento, everybody's beating Benevento, but then that when the two goal rally, uh, when the rally from two goals behind against the to come back and draw, starting to get a little bit of momentum, and uh, excited about being back and having this diving in Serie A, and they opened the scoring through uh, their young upstart. Entra in area, spalla la porta a Cerci, che poi serve Caceres, cross dentro, Pazzini non arriva, poi Verde! 1-0 Ellis! Danielli Verde putting Verona in front uh, early on, six minutes in, and uh, they were enjoying that lead only for about 17 minutes when the equalizer happened. E va in area, colpa di testa di Inglese! Il pareggio del Chievo, Roberto Inglese! Roberto Inglese, and it was a very well-taken goal. Uh, nice cross coming in. Uh, had an effort there uh, by the future Napoli forward. Uh, Richard started salivating at this point, and then seven minutes later, uh, he went into full rule mode because there was a penalty uh, given to Chievo and upstepped that man again. Vai Inglese! Chievo 2, Ellas 1, la doppietta di Roberto Inglese. Inglese with the penalty and the brace, and that made it 2 to 1, and that's how it would go at halftime. And then a little foolishness in the penalty area by Chievo themselves. Uh, and that's Captain Oldie but Goodie for Verona. Pazzini! Stesso angolo di Inglese! E fa 2 a 2, Giampaolo Pazzini! Giampaolo Pazzini with his signature celebration, leveled the match at 2. 
Uh, it would remain this way only for 18 minutes, and this really is a country for old men. Arriva Cacciatore, in tre a saltare, quelli del Chievo, prova cross Cacciatore, e poi Sergio Pellissier, trova il 3 a 2, torna in vantaggio, il Chievo Verona, proprio con Sergio Pellissier. Now this game started at 6.30 in the morning where Richard lived, so when this goal happened, half of Washington DC was awake. <laughs> Sergio Pellissier in the 73rd minute, notching one for Chievo, Richard's closet crush, Winning the Derby de la Scala by three goals to two. But, okay, winning the Derby, that's obviously an important thing, Richard. Yes. Because, you know, in all seriousness, Kievo, this is what we're going to get with them. A lot of entertaining high score games. They don't defend very well. Yeah. They have players that can score. But if you want a nice neutral watch uh, and you're looking for a Serie A game, just anything, any game that just about has Kievo in it. Of course, last week that didn't happen against us. Well, Correct. Uh, but here, uh, a thrilling derby, a, a welcome back to Serie A for the Derby del right? Yeah, I mean, it's a mid-table team, and they know how to entertain. They're not going to get higher than 10th place at best, but, I mean, I think maybe currently right now they are, but, it's not, you know, they're a mid-table team. Um, they, they give up goals and they score goals, so it makes for entertaining games. Um, it was a good win. Um, what's his name for Hellas Veronas? Bruno Succolini made it very he, – he must have had the worst game of his life. Um, he gave up. He gave up the goal. It was his fault that Inglese scored the first goal. Then he got. He took the penalty. that um, took him down in the box. So he got a yellow card for that, which led to another goal. And then he got the red card to get ejected for the game, which ultimately Pellissier won, won the game for them. So he just had a terrible game overall. Uh, I feel bad for him. He's relied on to be kind of that watchdog to protect that back four for Verona too. Yeah. Um, just yeah, you're right. It wasn't uh, certainly wasn't. His and, uh, you know, really, you know, Policier score, but I think uh, you got to give kudos to uh, Hetamai because uh, he could have easily, you know, touched the ball before it went in the net because he, like, trickled in. Uh, but he let it go. He saw Policier score, and he was like, yeah, yeah you're, the, you're the team captain. I'm not going to touch that. Uh, so he, he let that go in. Uh, so, you know, good for Policier, good for Hetamai, good, good for Kiev overall. What do you think about the Derby? But when you when you get these kind of derbies, you want to be entertained. You know, I think uh, last season both both, both of the uh, Derby de la Terna, uh matches between uh, Sampdoria and Genoa, yes, not as high scoring as these, but very entertaining nonetheless. And yeah, this is where these kind of games are fun because it's all about that region, it's all about that town, that territory. Uh, you know, on a smaller scale, but you see the passions of those fans. Uh, so certainly, uh, you know, certainly was an exciting game, uh, and uh, you know, one one for the neutral, and certainly, you know, a win for Kiel. And I, I give credit to Verona. I think Verona is still trending upward despite the defeat. Um, yeah, they fought. They fought. They fought. They did. Uh, it does get interesting midweek at Atalanta. Inter at home on a weekend. Following Monday, um, so you know they're gaining some confidence, and they're going to need it with these next couple of games coming up. So. Uh, I got a little bit of tidbit on this game. Um, it, this was a big victory for Kievo because Kievo haven't beaten Hellas Verona since December 2014. So um, that's a, it's a it's a long time coming from that win. So you know, good for the Flying Donkeys there. Yep, congratulations to them. An exciting win and. Uh, they're going to need it. Hosting Milan in midweek, which uh, that could be a belter. Uh, <laughs> the form of both of those teams. 
uh, at Sampdoria, Napoli at home, and then at Torino. So it gets a little bit, it, it's a little bit to be tough sledding uh, for those five donkeys here over the next four games. Speaking of Milan. Yeah, you know, Milan uh, played Genoa. Actually, coming to this match, Milan were on a three-game losing skid in Serie A. And, uh, in fact, they were booed off the pitch in a Europa League encounter against Athens. Um, on the flip side, Genoa, you know, marched in on the heels of their first victory last week, 3-2 over Cagliari. Recent history has not been kind to the Milanese club in the fixture with Genoa because uh, Genoa has won four of the last six matches. This match started off for the, started well for the Rossoneri, though. Uh, perhaps it had to go had to do with you know Franco Baresi in attendance. Uh, did you see him there in the game? Yeah, he was there with uh, sitting behind Fasoni and Minavelli with all the other uh, uh, Milan dignitaries. I still that that, uh, that box. I still uh, doesn't you know. I, <laughs> It'll take some years to get used to that. Yeah, Galliani and his son. Before we get to this game, I already see your Berlusconi running his mouth worried about the, I did. the finances of the Milan League. I was like, dude, you put us in this position. Well, yeah. I mean, why are you running your mouth? You know, it's uh, you're the one that thought Milan were in safe hands when you sold the team to this consortium, and now you're going to come out, you know, some six months later and and make a comment like that, you're not endearing yourself to anybody and you should just kind of go live in your villa in, in Ancora and, you know, be peaceful, don't draw any more attention to yourself, enjoy your bungalow bungalow girls. Exactly, exactly. Jeez. Right? I th- my, th- my thoughts exact. <laughs> I, I, still, I still love them for all the chips. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But don't be a senile old man, just, just go. He's our crazy uncle, he's our crazy uncle. Anyway, so yeah, you know, uh, you know, Milan did start up fairly well. Um, early on, Souza took on two defenders down the right flank, and he slid a ball back to Jack Bonaventura in stride. Bonaventura crossed a dangerous ball into the box at Hakan Chalanalu, uh, just headed high and wide. Um, a few minutes later, the tank known as Frank Kessier, stormed down the field, passed it over to Souza on the right. Uh, Souza saw a streaking Fabio Barini approaching and they rolled the ball in his direction and he shot a low, hard shot, but it was palmed away by Mattia Perrin, who's a fantastic goalkeeper, by the way. Um, you know, just as Milan began to dominate the game, uh, the referee off a free kick of a Chalhanalu free kick, the referee was drawn to VAR, and at first I didn't catch it. I saw a guy on the ground for um, Genoa, but I didn't make anything of it. They went to VAR, and the referee realized Bonucci intentionally elbowed uh, the player. Uh, his name was Alejandro Rossi, I believe. Um, so VAR confirmed that the elbow, confirmed the elbow, and he was ejected for violent conduct. Now Milan is down to ten men. They were playing so well, and then that happened. Um, you know, Milan were hoping not to concede any goals. You know, being down ten men, but they actually continued attacking. Um, Milan certainly did not look like they were. You know, they're down ten men because they they looked like you know they're you know up a guy. Pretty much because they kept attacking and attacking. Both teams continued to create chances, chances in particular Milan. Uh, midway through the second half, Francesier made another stormy run and drilled a shot just wide. Some say he should have passed to Lucas Bilia, uh, but I mean, I was fine with the shot. How about you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've coached you for uh, you know, a long time, and, and I'm never going to take away someone's position. You know, 
Gretzky said, what did Gretzky say? He goes, uh, he scores zero goals for, no, you, you know, you can't score a goal. Yeah, you miss. 100% of the shots. That's it. That's it. Exactly. And exactly. I mean, if he if he turned it over, it would be different. But he took a shot. It was a good shot. He required uh, the goalie to make a save, try to make a save. It was just wide. So I had no problem with that. Um, yeah. Um, just before that, um, former Milan man Andrea Bertolacci uh, nearly scored on a nice curler. Uh, that went high and wide, fortunately for us, um, us being Milan fans. Uh, in the 75th minute, Suzo played playmaker once again uh, and crossed to wide open Nikola Kalinic. Uh, your favorite player? No? <laughs> but the Croatian somehow missed the tap in from a couple yards out. How does that happen? I don't think I've done that before. Okay, that's not true. I've done it many times. Um, but that's as close as anyone would come to, the, to a goal. Game would end 0-0. Biggest news from this match came out today that Leonardo Bonucci has received a two-match two ban and will miss the matches against the high-flying donkeys of Kievo. See what I did there? <laughs> and the big matchup against Juventus on, on, on the weekend. Uh, before we get into Bonucci, what did you make of the way Milan played, Frank? You know, what are you going to do? I mean, you're down to 10 minutes. You're playing a Genoa team that is very well organized, uh, has a very good goalkeeper, as you mentioned, in Patty. Um, I understand that there was another team that we're going to get to on this late that got, you know, that had played with 10 men for the, roughly the same amount of time and did a lot better, you know. But, you know, I guess the team that's defensively not as not as sound and not as disciplined as, as Genoa is. I mean, let's, you look at Genoa right now in the season, and they have uh, been very stingy. Ask Inter how hard it was to score yeah. uh, on the, uh, earlier in the season. Ask Udinese how hard it was to score. I mean, you know, they jumped out to that 2-0 lead against Juventus, and then Juventus just erupted, and that was very early in the season. But lately, you know, they've been a little more on the stingy side. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's demanding to try to get a win with 10 men for that long a period of time. And I'm not going to apologize I'm not necessarily going to apologize for Milan, but I'm going to take some positives out of this. On 10 men, they did concede a goal. Exactly. Um, you know, and they created some chances to win the game. Um, you know, uh, this is, again, it's, it's a process. We're waiting longer than we want. Um, you know, I, I think that they were, you know, I don't think they were, they were great because if they won, they would have been great. I thought they, for, for the situation that they ended up being put in, they, uh, you know, they came through and they got a point. Uh, you know, against a team that's been playing well, that's been making life, life difficult, that's just about, just about everybody they've played so far. Um, so, you know, it's, Elon fans want wins, they want points, want to get back up the table, completely get it, completely with you on that. But, sometimes you, you know, in a situation like this, this is, you know, this is a point will be free at some point. We are going to get there. But right now, this is sort of a losing match. You know, and I, I agree with you 100%. <laughs> but you know, if if you if you look at just what the Milanese were saying on Twitter, uh, you would have thought Milan lost seven nothing to a Sunday League club. Um, I mean, expectations are one thing, but you got to be realistic too. You're down, you're down one man, and your your team was still attacking most of the game, and it, you know they played pretty well considering the situation. Um, I thought when uh, Romagnoli came in, things kind of settled down. Um, you know, it's funny, you know, we all hate on Christian Zapata, but you know, if you look at a lot of the games this season, though he hasn't played that many, it seems to be he's been more consistent in the back than uh, Bonucci has. What do you think? He's been very good. You know, 
Oh, yeah. And we have picked up. Part of the problem with Zapata is that he takes, as a center back, he takes risks because he relies on his pace and being able to recover to make up for those risks if he's wrong. Um, the problem with doing that at Milan is over the years, his center back partner was not even not talented enough or not fast enough or didn't have the ability to cover the kind of ground that, right. you know, that, that, that is necessary for him to be able to take those risks. Now, I thought, you know, Romagnoli gives him good cover. Uh, when he goes off and he does those sorts of things. I mean, he defended really well in this game, so Roman only wasn't necessarily as required, but when you partner him with uh, Gabriele Giletta, you know, Philippe Maxess, you know, some of these guys that Devante was paired with, it's just not as successful. There's just no way. Um, you know, so, yeah, he's taking some risks, and what you're seeing differently this time is that he is being, he is successful in those games, you know, in, in, in some of the decisions that he makes, you know, defending the ball. Um, you know, going a little higher, taking some chances here, taking some chances there. So um, that's what I'm starting to see a little more with Zapata. He's playing his game. He's playing his game. He's not trying to do too much. No, exactly, exactly. And and I think that that's been it's been very helpful. Uh, so um, you know, he we'll see what happens. We'll see how uh, we'll see how uh, you know Montella shapes this team against Kievo. Uh, but I have to believe that he's going to get a chance to he's going to get a chance to prove himself again. Well, you know, we we got we did get another question uh, from at Bob Lex, um, and it kind of goes on what we're talking about here. Um, he asks, "Is losing Bonucci for a few games a good thing for Milan?" Um, I'm going to say yes because only maybe they were depend dep- the defensemen were uh, dependent on him way too much, thinking he would you know just do everything. Um, now you know can, they can let Romagnoli and if it's if it's Zapata or Muzaki or whoever, uh, they can play their game and do kind of the game plan that Montella wants, and I think things will be a little bit more relaxed and more compact back there. What about you? Um, I, I like that point. Um, you know. Sometimes, I mean, back, in, back when Allegri's Milan that has Zlatan Ibrahimovic, there was always the running story that Milan are too Zlatan dependent. Yep, yep. Maybe this team defensively was too Bonucci dependent, and too much was, you know, too much was being leaned on him, especially to be, especially because he has the captain's armband too. Yeah. Now we have a game. Now we have two games where he's out of the picture, and everybody has to sort this out. This is only. I, I can only see this being a positive for Milan. Especially if they get a result against Juventus without him, uh, that's like a boost of confidence for the entire team, especially at the back line. Yeah. So, you know, I think that uh, I think that this is a good thing because this will prove that they're not necessarily Bonucci dependent, and when he does come back, it'll give them an opportunity to defend a little more freely. So let's see how it looks. Um, I hope it's a good. You know, I hope and expect that it'll actually be a, a, a good thing. All right, on. So what you got for me next? Um, what I got for you next is Torino v. Roma. Ooh. Uh, another usually anticipated game when you take a look at it. I mean, Torino's starting to have their struggles. Uh, you know, defensively starting to fall apart. The team's goals rather easily. Uh, Roma coming off that fantastic 3-3 draw at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea in the Champions League just a... And, and showing to the uh, not only to Italy but to the rest of Europe that there is some fight in them uh, on the continental front. Uh, relatively balanced game, but they don't step in and try to generate some chances. Uh, you know, Roma certainly had more of the possession. Uh, you know, Torino took their opportunities when they could, uh, but it was actually I shouldn't say balanced. It was Roma that had the possession and the chances. Uh, and it was 
man in one force right now that he can't stop. Alexander Kolarov! Al minuto 69! Oh, he's done it again. Alexander Kolarov with the free kick that decided this game for Roma and gave them the three points of play at Torino. Uh, and ending this match 1 0 to the Jawarossi. We'll get right to this, Richard. We have a question from our friend Scott Monroe at Scott underscore Monroe. Been on this podcast before. Is Kolarov the best signing of the summer window today in Serie A? Ooh. He's up there. He's definitely. Oh, didn't they get it for really cheap too? It wasn't. I mean, I don't think it was five million. Five million euros. Yeah, I mean that's. Uh, he's the best left back signing for sure. Um, he's he's up there for the best signings. I mean, right now I can't think of anyone who would be better. Uh, but he's been such an impactful player with his free kicks, uh, his momentum swing, his defensive play. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, right now I can't think of anyone off the top of my head who's better than him right now as far as signings in all of Europe. Uh, what about you? Uh, I don't know about all of Europe. That, that's yeah, jury's jury's kind of got on that. Uh, but uh, you know, at least for Serie A, it's been an important signing, certainly. Um, you know, when they made this signing, I kind of looked at me and said, "Really?" Um, but you know, he's he's got some game in him, and he seems to be a nice fit. Yeah, he's helping Di Francesco calm down and the team calm down because I think he's a he's a common influence in the way he plays, the way he impacts the games. Um, he's making this team just play better overall because they're, they're they're realizing that they have someone back there that they can depend on, uh, not only for goals but also for defensive play. Yeah, and just his, his game on dead balls has just been fantastic. Um, you know, there's just uh, uh, there's just no getting around that. And it's been a big help in helping Roma. Uh, you know, secure some of these points. So, defensively, this still might be a little bit of a liability. Yeah. Uh, but that hasn't totally showed up so far. Uh, you know, not to the point where it's destroying Roma and having to fall down the table. So, uh, yeah, we're with you. We're with you, Scott. It's, if it's not the best signing so far on Serie A, it's certainly, a, it's certainly in the top. Uh, you know, no, no question about that. Uh, you know, yeah, it might even be the best. I mean, yeah. I think yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's up there. Um, you know, with the with the job that he's done, um, I think that might be the only one that could potentially rival it as far as Serie A is concerned. Yeah, Skriniar is a good good pickup by Inter, but he's not having the I guess offensive impact that Kolarov is having. Speaking of which, uh, did you see the quote uh, some journalist had asked uh, Mihalovic? I love Mihalovic. I love his reaction. Uh, don't ask him stupid questions because he'll give you an answer you don't want. Uh, the journalist asked him, you know, are you going to do something about you know, your attack? You know, nothing's working. Mihalovic said, what kind of effing question is that? What do you want me to do? Play a one-legged Balotti? I mean, he's right. He's right. I mean, your team, your, play, your players should step up. But I mean, that's a funny response. I mean, don't ask him a stupid question like that. <laughs> It's like when their defense works, their offense doesn't, or and then vice versa. They can't get both pages working together. Right. Absolutely. All right. What do you got for me? All right. I have Atalanta hosting Bologna. Uh, Atalanta would ultimately win one nothing. Um, Atalanta was coming off a three one win in Europa League. Uh, Bologna, they were on a three game win streak. Also, um, 
no Papo Gomez for this one. He picked up an injury against Ar- with Argentina, and he still hasn't recovered. So Brian Cristante had to fill in in the Trecartista role. Um, early on in the uh, second half, Spinazzola had a great opportunity, and he missed it from a couple yards out. He had the Nicolo Kalinic effect, uh, just missing it. I don't know how he missed that. Um, later on, Rima Freuler uh, hit an excellent pass through the defense, and he found the guy, a substitute actually, Andreas Cornelius, who made no mistake. Off a corner kick um, later on, Cornelius had another opportunity, and uh, his shot deflected right towards Matteo Caldara, who was stopped by a miraculous save by Antonio Maranti off the line. Um, that would be as close as anybody else would come to scoring in the game. Atalanta would win the game. Um, they're slowly moving up in the table now. Um, have they, have they, do you think they got a, they're starting to get their, their mojo back, or you think they've still got some work to do? Because they're right now, I think, one point behind Milan in 12th place, um, and they're slowly moving up, I think. I mean, they're starting to get results. They're on the plus side now of the goal differential. Um, how do you see them? Before I answer the question on Atalanta, we've got to check and see... If there's any way we, if, if, if we're not committing copyright infringement by inserting the uh, Soul Train um, music intro, uh, <laughs> that would never come Come on, ride the train. <laughs> yeah, you know, I got you. <laughs> down now soul train copyright infringement all right <laughs> i could do that yeah that'd be great uh now uh that's a lot uh, for me i think this is what you what we should expect you know they're going to grind out some results they they from the performances in the europa league they've clearly made that a priority they've taken a deep interest in that uh, you know, but uh, let's not forget this is a Bologna team that's giving everybody a hard time. Too. Yeah, I like they they were on a three game win streak. I mean, they're surprised. They're in the top half of the table. They're doing really well right now. Agreed, agreed. So this is a, a better than you think win for Atalanta. Yes. Uh, you know, especially coming off the short turnaround after having to play Apollonia myself. Uh, you know, so so a good win for them and. A, a resourceful win, getting Cornelius on the score sheet, not getting Papa Gomez. Um, you know, and I believe, I, I do want to say that was it Ilicic that provided the ball, but was it for, was it, uh, for Cornelius or was it Spinazzo? Uh, oh, on the on the goal? Yeah. Uh, Rima Freuler. I think Ilicic gave it to Freuler and Freuler made it, made the pass to Cornelius. Yes, that's what it was. Okay. Um, no, so the... the this is still an Atalanta team that's very strong, and, uh, and and right now their table position currently deceived from their 12th, um, but uh, they're they're definitely uh, up for the climate. I think that's going to start here midweek when they play Verona. Yeah. Um, as for Bologna, uh, you know, one of those that great game. I mean, I, I think that they have shown that you know they they, they went on a three match, you know, four match I beat one of that. But, you know, the, the defeat away at Fiorentina and then the defeat away at Atalanta is that, that they're just a step off the pace, you know. And that, you know, while they're in a very good table position now, that that progression is going to happen the more that they get themselves in games like that. But sitting eight, 
credit to uh, Domodoni and the job that he's done. You know, again, we talked about them last week. We talked about in a previous pod. We thought Domodoni would be the first manager to go. Yes. Uh, we'll talk about the first manager to go here shortly. The first two, actually. First two, yes. So, uh, and uh, you know, and then go from there. But uh, mm. you know, uh, you know, Bologna is still uh, still hanging in there, and it's proving to be. Uh, you know, proving to be a difficult outfit. You know, we were saying, you know, that Kolarov might be the signing of the of the of the of the, of the summer so far for Syria. You know, a close second may be actually Rodrigo Palacio for Bologna. He seems to have regained some youthful energy. Um, he had some storming runs in this game. Had uh, created you know some quality opportunities. Um, he, I guess he's got his second win or, or some you know a re-energized life now over there in Bologna because uh, he's looking like his old self almost. His experience will serve yes. like, so Garrity and, and Destro and those guys well. Absolutely. Um, you know, so that's very important. So, um, moving on, we have Spall and Sassuolo. Uh, a, a match between two teams that have been struggling toward the bottom end of the table. Uh, and it did not take long. If you watch this game, you only needed to watch the first minute. In contrastando Politano, ancora Politano, Politano, Politano! Al primo minuto, pazza il Sassuolo! Matteo Politano played through. Hey, Matteo Politano, welcome to the Serie A season. That only took you nine games. Is that a second goal of the season? I think that. Uh, might be. It might be. I've been mad. It's nice to see one of those three guys pop up and get a goal. That's all they would need. It's as if they, they, they got that goal and they decided, all right, good enough, let's go home. Could have done. Yeah. But, uh, in the end, Sassuolo win by a final of one goal to nil. Uh, that moves them up to 13. Oh. Um, is this project under Christian Mookie slowly? I mean, they took that beating the Lazio since the Tranquillo and then winning as well since the uh, the World Cup break. They've got an AC at home midweek here before having to go to Napoli at the weekend. Is this project starting to slowly get some legs here on Christian Mookie, or is it just the fortune of playing a team that's, you know, a promoted team that's, that is what they are? I mean, they're in 13th place. They're slowly gaining traction. I do think um, it's not going to come easy for them, but they're, they're like. At the beginning of the season, they were at the bottom of the table. We were like, what the heck is going on over there? Um, we thought they were a mid-table team, possibly contention for the top half of the table, and they're starting to get towards that area. Um, I'm curious to see how the next couple next month goes because, um, you know, like I said, they have Napoli coming up and some big games, so I want to see how they do against that. Their defense has been better. Uh, they haven't given up many goals as of late, so maybe that that kind of tells me that their trend. It may be with who they played, but the trend is telling me that they're they're starting to get things better. And Politano getting his second goal here. I think he scored against Juventus the other the other week. Um, they're starting to get their scores. Oh, if you get you know get Diego Falcinelli in the game scoring and Berardi. Berardi missed a penalty kick in this game. Um, I think it would have helped him his confidence if had he scored that. Um, so I think it is it is slowly going on. Yeah, it's, it's getting there, but man, I tell you what, only five goals from nine games from, from, from this group of attackers. Not, never saw that coming. I I would have thought they would have been one of the more exciting, attractive teams to watch, um, you know, here in this semi on season. It's a pity that it hasn't gone so far. Um, so, uh, moving on, uh, you've got some uh, you've got some highlights here from uh, Benavento and Fiorentina, huh? 
I do, I do. You wouldn't think I'd see highlights with Benevento in it, but it usually involves the other team. Uh, <laughs> Benevento, winless in their first eight games. Fiorentina coming off a win against Udinese last week. Um, the opening goal didn't, you know, didn't come until around the 18th minute. Giovanni Simeone held off a defender, uh, you know, holding the ball up as you should as a, as a, as a forward, and he slid a pass and opened Marco Benassi. Simeone può mettere giù, attenzione, che se la palla indietro Benassi! Marco Benassi! That gave La Viola the lead and they wouldn't look back. Kuma Bubakar scored in the 47th minute and Cyril Tarot converted a penalty kick after Babacar was taken down by goalie Alberto Brignoli. Frank, how do you rate Fiorentina's performance that 3 nothing win over Benevento? They make the world's tallest legend. Pretty much, and it's hard. And that's what Benevento is. They don't have any points. I mean, nine games, two goals, twenty-two against. I mean, it's a, they're continuing punching way above the weight. I mean, in this sense, for a project like Pioli's right now, this is an essential. It's Benevento away. It's Benevento, which should be a three-point requirement, and they got the three points. So. Yes. But. You're starting to look at them. They're scoring goals in each game. I mean, the only clean sheet, uh, the only time they've been shut out with that because they're not injured at the very beginning of the season when they didn't even know each other's names. Um, you know, so this is a uh, this is a a, a project that uh, you know we talked with Chloe about this. It's ahead of schedule. They're in ninth now. So you know they're in the top half here in October when we thought it might take them yeah. a good a good five months before they realized being a top half team. So uh, you know this project is moving along a little bit. They they've um, you know they're scoring goals. Uh, you know they're defending. Their defending is getting better. It's a team that is, is going to be one of those that everybody's going to hate to play. They're going to be the they're going to be the Sampdoria a little later on in the season, and Sampdoria might even be a little further ahead mm-hmm. than that. Yeah. So, um, you know, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised with where Fiorentina is at in this project. So, um, certainly ahead of where I expected them to be, but, uh, kudos to them. Yeah, they got the win. I mean, this, this win against Benevento doesn't do anything for me in terms of Fiorentina, but they did get a win ultimately. Um, the big news coming out of this game as a result of this match, Benevento have fired Marco Baroni and named Roberto De Zerbi. Do you remember the name, Frank? Uh, he's going to be the new coach after becoming uh, the first squad in Serie A history to lose his first nine matches of the season. Poor, poor Benevento. Yeah, the Serie used to be Palermo manager. Um, they didn't like Baroni, I guess, because he was having quarrels with the manager. Obviously, they're also 0-9. The Zerbi has a history also with uh, with his owners not you know not coexisting well. Um, what do you think about the signing? It's not going to get any better. <laughs> it's not. Absolutely. Um, uh, but uh, but 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 the derby is going to be it's going to be more of the same. I'm afraid. I don't think that this really improves anything. 
Benevento also announced it's uh, firing the sporting director, Salvatore Di Soma. Uh, the Gazzetta della Sport reports that Benevento will have to pay Baroni 800,000 euros, nearly a million dollars, as part of an anti-firing clause in his contract. That is a genius of a signing right there. That's, I, if I was a manager, I would have that on my clause, in my clause. In case you fire me, you got to give me pay me money. Um, but it's a natural thing. I think all managers do that. They have a release clause or they have some sort of a severance uh, you know, clause in the contract. There yeah. places like places like Palermo where I would you know negotiate a very very expensive buyout. Absolutely. <laughs> job security. The places where the job security is 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 minimal is where I would negotiate the higher buyout. Where I know the job security is good and they put their faith in the manager, I probably wouldn't be so inclined to negotiate such a high buyout. Yeah, yeah. No, but uh, I mean, Baroni should be credited for helping get this team to stay out and I think I'm doing well in, in, you know, in the uh, promotion playoff. You know, and having that to be able to take advantage of was was their was their calling card. Um, it's um, you know, again, it's still a bridge too far. Like I said, I, this 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 derby hiring doesn't doesn't do anything for me. It's just going to be the same. Hey Frank, I'm kind of itching for some goals. You got a game for me that has some goals? Season, um, he's starting to develop into a striker that um, Udinese were hoping they were gonna they were gonna get out of him when they signed him very very young. Uh, that's a good goal. He scored a goal on a legend like that. Keep that ball. That's what I say. Yep. Now Samir scored last week for Udinese in their defeat against Fiorentina, uh, and he was in the scoring mood again in the 14th minute. Small problem. He scored on his own net tie this time, and uh, <laughs> allowing Juventus to equalize. It was one one there. Uh, and then six minutes later, Juventus would take the lead through an unlikely source. Sta arrivando, sostegno anche Licksteiner, cross dentro, di testa, Kedira! Sami Kedira put the old lady ahead by two goals to one, and just a few minutes later, an incident in the penalty area with uh, uh, involving Mario Mandzukic, uh, where not only did he get a yellow card, I wanted to... I, did, you, did you catch that whole incident? He ended up getting two yellow cards in very rapid succession. One for a temper with uh, getting into a shoving match with one of the mm-hmm. amazing players. And did he get the other yellow for simulation? Uh, I didn't actually. I missed that second yellow because I was I was off thinking about something else. Um, I know a lot of people are complaining, thinking that was a weak second yellow and a weak red card to get. Um, a lot of people were upset about that, but uh, I guess he was a he was a surplus to the requirements anyway. Never understood the. I never understood what really happened in that situation. But he got two yellow cards on the first day. He was sent off. And, uh, <laughs> he must have said something to the referee or something. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or something like that. I, 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 
the same amount of time as Neil had to be down to 10 men and uh, got to cope with it a little bit differently. But before uh, they could do their thing, just two minutes after uh, halftime, Udinese equalized. Va De Paul verso Danilo, che va a segno e fissa il risultato sul 2 a 2. Danilo on the score sheet uh, to equalize it at two goals apiece. And then it all got pear-shaped for Indonesia after that. Just five minutes later, a set piece for Juventus and Yeli Rugani. This is why he needs to be playing more for Juventus and for country. Yep. He defends well and he scores on set pieces. This put Juventus ahead by three goals to two. Uh, and just minutes later... Batibala sul secondo palo, Rugani! Poi cerca la deviazione! Kedira! È doppietta per lui! È 4-2 Juve! Sami Kedira gets his brace. That puts Juventus up 4-2. He get his hat-trick in the 87th minute. And for good measure, the guy who I thought was the best player in this match, I mean, I obviously Kedira was a hat-trick, but if you're going to look at anybody beyond that, Erlen Pjanic uh, capping off. Per Pjanic c'è la deviazione di Noiting, c'è il 6 a 2 Juve e chiude il set. Wow, Richard, I'm going to start with the man that I just referenced, Marilyn Pjanic. Tifala got off to a blistering start, he's had some regression and Marilyn Pjanic seems to have picked up where Tifala is leaving off. Yeah, um, and it, you know, I think he's got some freedom there playing in the midfield, whether it's you know with Matuidi or or Kadira in this case, um, and he seems to taken full advantage of it. Um, you know, his overall game, his scoring ability, his free kicks, his free kicks are like none other. Um, he is he's coming to his own right now, and it's good good timing for for Juventus because, like you said. Uh, Dybala is, is starting to fade away a little bit, um, and they need someone to step up, and Pjanic is taking that role. I mean, this team has guys who can step up at all times, so at this time it's Pjanic's turn. Yep, he was, he was good, and uh, again, Daniel Dugani, why isn't he getting more of a run? He should, yeah, he should, he should be playing every game. It's just shocking to me, so. Uh, but uh, uh, Juventus uh, really getting, really taking care of business here. Uh, do you feel with the, the struggles they had to do to make it last season that they had something to prove? Yeah, uh, I think also, you know, every team has a thorn in their side that's usually not uh, as an equal opponent to them. Uh, Milan could say many teams, but you know, general maybe in this case. Uh, but for, for Juventus, it's always been Udinese, uh, whether it's been... Um, uh, Di Natale, you know, you know, scoring goals against them or whomever. Uh, it's always been a thorn in their side, and I think they they wanted to finally prove that you know they're the big dogs here, and then they, they can win this game. They're gonna shake off the shake off these uh, these blues that they've been having against them. And um, when they went down to ten men, it seemed like they even got angrier and just really started giving it to Udinese. I mean, I've never seen a team down a down a man and score what they score four goals after losing the guy. Yeah, yeah, they actually, yeah, four goals. That's crazy. I, I don't think I've ever seen that anywhere. I've heard of that. A lot of it was set pieces. Yeah, yeah. Stuff off of set pieces, but you still have to take advantage of those situations. But there's a there's a flip side to this. This is exactly what you take advantage of. You got to get into those set piece situations against the Indonesian. You know, the defenders are still trying to figure out how to play together. Yep. You know, still trying to get some sense of organization. They're certainly younger. Uh, you know, and. Uh, They've been, they've been conceding goals like crazy, and, and you're going to have taken advantage. Problems with Udinese in this 
you know, more than a beautiful team, especially in the defensive. They really, they really reared their head in this situation, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, man. They, um, they didn't make things easy for themselves, surely. Um, I know they have such good talent on their team, but, you know, they're still they're still gelling. And they, this, we thought they had a good – was it against Sampdoria? They won 4 nothing. It was a shock, you know, score of the season. Yeah, 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 this is true. This is true. Um, but, you know, they still haven't found it. We thought that they would have, you know, have would have been come together and started playing a lot better given who they have on their team because they have so many good youngsters. Uh, but they still can't get their, their footing on the ground. They're, they can't get any traction. Um, they're starting to regress while Sassuolo has been improving. Kudinese seems to be regressing almost. Um, it's it's unfortunate because they're, they're a fun team to watch, and you'd hate to see them get in a relegation battle. Right, right. I don't know if they're a relegation team, but then that 21 goals conceded, the only, only Benevento is worse than 22. Mm. Um, some things need to get sorted out with that uh, uh, with that back line uh, quickly, because I think Delnevi has the pieces going forward. Uh, at Sassuolo, and Sassuolo certainly has their struggles, but it doesn't get easier after that. Atalanta at home, and then Atlasio. Hmm. Uh, a couple of teams that can, that can bag their share of goals for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a question, wasn't there, for uh, this game? For Udinese? Uh, yes, there was. There was a question from oh, our friend Bob Lex again. Bob Lex asked all the questions. <laughs> a couple of others. We like we, Bobby. Bobby, we appreciate it though. Yes. Yeah, uh, uh, How do you rate him? How's he doing so Not counting this game, um, I think he's a he's a fantastic talent. Uh, he he could be the next it guy for Udinese. They're really hoping that he can you know fill the shoes and take a role, and become a, like, eventually a, a club icon. He's he has that kind of talent. Um, he can score. He's a, he's a, as a midfielder, I believe is his position. Um, He's good. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He's, you know, he's got, he's got good technical ability. He's got good vision. Um, games like this kind of, you know, gives a little setback. But I mean, that, the whole team had, had to do with that, not just him. Um, overall, I like the player, and I think it's a, another good find for Udinese and their long history of good finds. Um, I think he he play he can play as a he can play as a wide left midfielder. Maybe not necessarily a winger. Um, he can play on the inside left of a 4-3-3 setup. Um, you know, so he's got a little bit of a versatility there. Uh, he's a quarterback Premier League team, too. Um, yeah. That, that he's on their radar as well. So uh, Milan were interested in him at deadline day. There was some flirtation there. Uh, so um, I think he's he's on to some bigger things. He's doing all right in the He's, um, you know, the cast that he has to work with, it maybe doesn't show up as much for a player like him. Uh, you know, it's kind of the Koulibaly syndrome for him that, you know, the, the, the players around him just maybe aren't, aren't there where, you know, last year Koulibaly is a great defender with a bunch of average defenders at Napoli. Uh, you know, somewhat of that, you know, description for a backup, lack of whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're, we're, we're high on him and we're hoping that he can come through and pop up and offer some better performances here in the Middle East. Oh, yeah, there's one more game. It was Lazio versus Cagliari. Uh, Simone and Zaghi's informed team remained so, and he and they won with ease. Uh, there was a first half race. I bet you can't guess who scored it. Ancora Lulic, arriva ora pallone sul secondo palo per Marusic che lavora di sponda per Immobile. Marusic per Immobile, 2-0 Lazio. Ciro Immobile gave the Aquila a 2-0 first half lead. Um, minutes into the second half, the win was secured. 
barriera, Luis Alberto al cross a cercare Bastos arriva al momento giusto ad impattare con il pallone 3-0 Lazio as Bastos scored getting on the end of a Luis Alberto free kick uh, before the match the Sardinians had lost four in a row coming into this match and that saw coach Massimo Rastelli let go and the return of Diego Lopez after three and a half years um, Today was not a good start to his campaign, losing 3-0 to, uh, to Lazio, huh? So wait a second, so Rastelli was fired before the match? Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't, I, I didn't know that. So yeah. Do you know what that means? He's the first one. You and I won the... Yes. ...in the preview pod. That's right. Laura, Mark, Blair, we got you on this one. Pay up! Wait, we didn't offer money, but... Uh, <laughs> we'll take anything. Might as well. goals a season that you're replacing and you can't ask Tony how hard of a process that is uh, to replace a striker who was, who was KQ ask Torino right now uh, who are going through things without Andrea Bellotti uh, you know it's, it, it's not easy so there's some challenges there ask Genoa right now without Giovanni Simeone yep. they will get eight goals for nine games so um, you know so that's a little bit harsh the defending is a little bit better but not much um, you know, but uh, you know Diego Lopez. Let's see what he can do. Um, so, but uh, we had a question from uh, at uh, Marcus Adams. Yes. Our loyal listeners and Lazio fan. Uh, what should Lazio do about the terrible behavior of some of their fans at a time when everything is so good? Do you, uh, Frank? Are you aware of what happened to, uh, during the game? We talked about this before the pod. Uh, it was a disgusting yep. uh, TIFO uh, put up by the Lazio Ultras. What was it? Something about uh, it was a picture of Anne Frank yeah. in a Roma jersey with some anti-Semitic uh, copy uh, <laughs> were written, uh, and, for lack of a better description. And also, so I guess uh, the Ultras had sent, the Lazio Ultras had sent stuff to Roma fans or something also along the same lines. I know they scribbled on walls and stuff, so... Yeah, it was disgusting. Um, how do you how do you quell this? <sighs> Bands. I mean, the team's doing well, and you hate to punish them, but get rid of the fans that are, that are causing the problems. Ban the ultras. Uh, you got you find. I mean, find them. It's not probably not gonna do it because guys can find a way to get into the stadium. Start banning the section. Ban the ultras. I mean, do what you gotta do. 
losing the ultras is not going to hurt the stadium because they're still going to have their fans. And you don't want to ban the whole stadium because that that would be that would be a little too harsh, uh, especially for Lazio who are playing so well right now. But I think punish the punish the people who are doing these things. Punish the, punish all the ultras. Let them you know correct it within their, their own group if they want to come back. Um, the only way you're going to you know deal with this thing is, is deal with it uh, you know head on. Don't don't pass on and do little fines and this and that. You got to you got to ban it from the game. I'm sorry. What do you think? It's not going to be easy, I know that. Throw off ultras, seriously. All of them, not just the Lazio ones, all of them. Yep. Seriously, can we stop? I mean, it's just, you know, be passionate about your team, I get it, okay? And, 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 and there's nothing wrong with that. But now to a point where you're going to, you know, go after your rivals and do so in a manner where you're bringing this disgusting attack on a, a group of people uh, just sit yeah. you know I mean it's relatively similar you put up a you, you, you showed me uh, a, there was a tipo of a team that also had the same uh, it was very similar where it was like a picture of, wasn't a picture of a Nazi soldier with a gun to the head of a, of a Jewish yes uh, uh, Warsaw Legia, Legia Warsaw that's what it was I mean, come on yeah can we, can, we, can, we, can we get rid of this already? It's 2017. Exactly. You know? It's 2017. You know, I watch sport to give away from all of the other crap. Okay? I don't want the crap following me. And I'll look at something that's going to make me square. I want to watch the game. I want to watch what the front That's. I don't want to be distracted by some, by, by some garbage. And the ultras are ruining it. The ultras are ruining it by bringing the shit into the game, so... Exactly. You know, <sighs> on, what are you doing flares on the pitch? Yeah. Aside from just being a drunk asshole. Exactly. You know, I mean, seriously, it's I I don't like giving idiots a lot of time. No. So let's 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 end this game on a good note then. Um, you know, Lazio remain hot with a victory. The Aquila have lost only once this season in all competitions, which is amazing. Uh, despite missing injured Felipe Anderson, Wallace, Duzan Basta, and Jordan Lukaku. The victory put them with, within a point of Inter in second place and within three points of Napoli in first place. Hashtag title race on. Oh, agree. Agree. This is turning into something fun. Jerome Mobley is now your Capo Cunningham leader at 13 goals. He's on pace to score 55. Nice. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, that's, a, that's just insane. Oh, man. No one's stopping. Um, Kuli Bali's stopping. <laughs> just him. Just him. Yeah. So, but it's just, and Zaghi's, and, and, and you know, they, they lose Bailey, they lose Kane to Bali. You know, Marusic can come through for us on the right. We've got Kuli Bali. Oh yeah. How how good is it to be the Inzaghi's right now? You got you know Simone Inzaghi with Lazio high flying. They're they're in the title race. You have uh, Filippo Inzaghi with uh what is it was it um Vincenza and they're tied for first in Serie B. Venezia. Venezia, Venezia, sorry Venezia, Venezia. Now they're tied for first in Serie B. Um, they're both both these coaches are just like flying high right now. Good for them. Good, good for these brothers. Congratulations, congratulations to them. They can score goals or they can manage. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I guess if you can do those two things in life, you're going to be set up pretty good. So, um, so yeah, so uh, title race on, you've got first through fourth only separated by three points. 
Oh, it's it's very very good. It's uh, I hope it stays like this for the rest of the season because it, it'll just bring in more fans. In the big picture, I still think it's down to not playing Juventus. Oh yeah, yeah. But it's fun to see. It's fun to see. You know, it, yeah, even at Macy it's fun to see Inter doing what they're doing. It's fun to see Lazio doing what they're doing. Um, obviously fun to see what that's up to. And then you look at the bottom of the table. You got some really bad teams. <laughs> uh, this is worse than last year, I think, maybe. At this pace. Definitely worse than last year. This might be from a strength standpoint. From a strength standpoint, uh, this, the, the bottom tier teams might be the worst collection of teams that you ought to have. Last year, they, last we were asked, you know, should we should the league go from 20 teams to 18 teams? This season, it's hard to argue against that because the f- bottom four are so bad. Um, I know, I know, but it's 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 hard to hard to defend it when you got four teams as bad as this. Um, but we'll see. Hopefully, they pick it up and go on a run, kind of like Crotone did at the end of the season last year. Sure, sure. So those are the uh, those are the games. Your thoughts on them? Your thoughts on the games coming up? We'll have a couple of quick previews here coming up. Juventus was second. Napoli is currently third, but uh, I'm, I know I, I still think they're good. I'm gonna give it a, a grade. Let's see. Um, considering what Roma's done, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a B. Uh, Roma, you know, they did better than expected, going to Chelsea and tying them three three. What a great game that was for them. Um, I thought that was admirable. Kolarov off with another goal in that game. Um, they. Uh, they are doing so much better than we thought they because we thought they were going to lose at Chelsea as a given two losses against Chelsea, and they drew them. So now they got a three-point lead on, on Atleti. Um, that's good for them because that's, you know, if they can you know, serve out the rest of the way, they got a good chance of qualifying. Napoli, I think they're going to turn this around and, and pull ahead of Shakhtar eventually. Uh, and Juventus is going to be tough with Sporting and, and uh, is still going to play Barcelona. Or did it, they played Barcelona once, right? Yeah. So... Um, I still think Juventus. I think all three teams have a good chance now of qualifying. So I'm going to give it a B. I'm with you on that. I think a solid B. I think that you give a B for the, uh, let's call it overachieving from Roma. Yes. Yes. Um, and then the maybe, I, I would say underachieving of Napoli, and I'm worried about Napoli's position. Um, they, I, I feel like they need to, they're going to get shocked out at home, and they're going to, they're going to have a chance to get those three points. 
What worries me is if that they don't get a win against Manchester City in the San Paolo. Say they draw. Right. Okay. And then Shakhtar be final. All right. Because I think that's in the Ukraine uh, next. Um, so Shakhtar be final. Uh, now Shakhtar are five points clear of Napoli. Um, so mm. Napoli get them on match day five at the San Paolo. So if they win that, they're still two points back. They need to count on Manchester City going to the Ukraine on match day six, while Napoli have to go to Feyenoord. Mm. Um, I don't like this situation for Napoli. That really concerns me. If they can beat Manchester City at the San Paolo, it's going to be a lot easier. It's going to be a lot easier path to, to qualify and get into this last sixteen. Uh, you know. Uh, but if they look at this and they see you're going to start to see to Bob Lex's point, Napoli's going to say, "All right, all in on the all in on the Scudetto. Congratulations, Shakhtar, you're going to go through." Um, I'm worried, okay, about that situation. Um, Roma, it's still going to come down to that game at Atletico because they're going to win at home against Carabao. Yep. Uh, you know, even if they don't win against Chelsea, they're in good shape. Um, you know, because Atletico will still have to go to Chelsea. So, you know, Roma have a real chance to go. And as I predicted when we had Solano on, their path would be as if I'm like the Madrid's level. They have. That's, that's looking pretty good so far. <laughs> right now, um, if they can win, if they can win at the sporting, done deal a little um, They'll lock up their, well, yeah, because they'll have a clinch. They'll be on nine. Sporting will only be on three. Um, you know, those two, those two places will be decided. So, if they win for Juventus, and this is obviously so the Barca is going to be the Olympiacos again. So, you know, I, I like the positions that Juventus and Rome are in, obviously, and they're in a great spot. Napoli have more work to do than we think, but I'll give the overall performance a B. Uh, it, it's, it, 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 it's elevated because of Roma's overachieving. It's downgraded a little bit because of Napoli's, uh, especially that loss at Shakhtar. They need to control one of the points there. Um, because now it's looking a little frightening. The prospects of them not going um, are actually real. Yeah, man. Uh, and now quickly on the uh, Europa League. Um, those are looking great. Uh, <laughs> in fact. Um, well, let's uh, jump into the standings on that. and start with Group D, where Milan are top on seven points. Uh, over eight, IEK Athens, Rijeka, and then Austria B. Uh, Atalanta, top group E, with Leon, Apollon, and Everton in that group. They're on Atalanta on seven points. And then Lazio has a 100% record on nine points in a group with Nice, Zilterbottegem, and Vitesse. Uh, even with Milan's goalless draw against AEK Athens, I'm giving this group an A. I agree. Uh, top of this group. I argued with, and, and look, I like it, okay, but that game against the EK Athens was a throwaway game. It was not important. It was not really that important for the Bulls. They're in a they're in a joke of a group that they're going to cruise through easily. They only need, and, and it's not the Europa League. I don't think there's a real difference of finishing first or second. I think I, I want to say that the knockout draw is a coefficient thing because eight third place teams come over from the Champions League too. Uh, to make a round of 32, so it's not as straightforward as group winners are in this pot, runners-up are in that pot like they do with the Champions League. Yeah. Um, just finishing in one of the top two spots is all that matters. And my whole priority with Milan were, okay, qualify, 
and don't get anybody hurt in six games. Yes. You know, uh, Lazio and Atalanta is a little more challenging because the teams are a little bit better. Atalanta has shown that they are uh, they're in this to win it. And Lazio uh, going on the road and beating these three one was very impressive. So yeah, this group gets an A, Richard. You know, it's funny. I'm going to throw a little wrench into this into this grade. Um, before this tournament started, you know, Milan were the odds-on favorite to win Europa League. Arsenal was rated high. You know, based on current form, Lazio has a chance. But, you know, if we look through the group stages, you have the potential of these three teams possibly going to Europa League from Champions League. Borussia Dortmund, Monaco, and Napoli. Imagine, that would be a fun Europa League. I wouldn't want to see it, especially because Napoli would be in there. Um, but that would be some Europa League tournament then, huh? Business would certainly pick up with it. It would certainly. It would get really, really interesting very quickly. Yes, it would. But I agree. It's a, I'll, I'll give an eight to all three uh, Italian teams in, in Europa League. They're doing uh, as expected, if not better, uh, especially Lazio. They're, they're, they're just playing lights out right now. So, um, yeah, let's see them keep up the work. In the position that those three teams are in, we just expect all of them to qualify at this point. Yeah. They haven't, haven't either, any of them haven't collapsed. So. Uh, we we did have a question based off of the Europa uh, Europa League and Champions League, I guess, if you will. Um, at La Liga, Gav asked, should UEFA make it a case that the top eight from the top four leagues enter the group stages of the Champions League? Hmm. UEFA's never going to go for this um, because they want to still give some weight to the rest of Europe <laughs> champions from the smaller countries. Um, and I'm not just talking about like Belarus or countries like that. I'm talking about like the Eredivisie champions, yes. the Russian Premier League champions, and teams like that, the Belgian, uh, the Belgian league, and that sort of thing. Now, if you want to do something like that and really generate some sort of a super league, you could do it with the Champions League. You would have to scrap the Europa League in order to do it. Mm. And I could see a path where you have 64 teams in a group stage. You know, we have 16 groups of four, and you can probably figure out a way to do that over your Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, European club week. Yeah. You know, where you have these groups play Tuesday, these groups play Monday, these groups play Thursday. Now, do that, and then how many teams from each of the four leagues are in, are in the league proper? How many of them have to try to qualify for a playoff? Right now... There are 22 automatic league places for the 32 available. If you go to 64, all right, let's kick that up to 40. So out of maybe what Italy, from Italy, Germany, England, and Spain, the top four from each of those leagues are in. You know, and then you, you trickle it down a little bit to where maybe the top 15 or 16 league champions get a group place, uh, and then you have the same champions group. You know, for the league champions of the lesser countries, and then you have the uh, playoff route for the teams from the you know the best placed uh, you know in the other countries. I can see a scenario like that, and then you have a round of 32 uh, in February, round of 16, round of 8, all the way down to the final. You would have to scrap the Europa League to do that. Um, you know, and it would add two games for the teams that do qualify for those stages to their calendar, hmm. but. UEFA wanted to look at this and say this is a real chance at a money grab that we, we could do this. I could see it. I could see a scenario like that it's certainly generating more revenue than the current system where you have Champions League and Europa. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a that's a good take. I mean, if that's if you were to do that, that's probably the way to go. Uh, for my money, though, you know, I'd like the way 
the smaller countries have a chance to win. I mean, you have your Red Star Belgrades who've won. Um, you had Porto who won it. Um, all these other smaller clubs that had a chances to win. If you if you do that, you're going to pretty much nullify that because it'll never happen again. Um, what, what I would like to see, though, I know you know a lot of these, a lot of the top leagues, they have you know so many slots. Like take Italy, for example, uh, you have three. Well, it will be four plus two that can go to Europa League. I'd like to see maybe maybe the top seven, top eight, get a chance to go into European play and not necessarily Champions League. They could like you know maybe four guaranteed to Champions League and then three or four guaranteed to Europa League. I'd like to see that more of those more of those clubs in those tournaments. Uh, but uh, have them all in Champions League, I think it's too much. Um, I definitely want to see these teams, more teams from the, the top leagues play because there are a lot of good teams in the middle. Um, like right now, Sampdoria, I would love to see them play in Europe and Europe uh, European games because uh, they're that good right now. Uh, but I don't know if you want to have all top eight from the top four leagues in the Champions League. It just messes my take. I'm, oh. no. no, I'm good with what you just, I'm, I'm good with what you just said there. I mean, it's, there's, it's, it's, it's a difficult proposition. And certainly, I think, you know, La Liga Gav's idea would certainly, you know, put the UEFA in a position to maybe generate a lot more revenue. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's something that they'll probably strongly look at down the road. I mean, it's how they uh, cut bait with the Cup Winners' Cup. Yep. Uh, you know, so many years ago, they said, what, what are we even doing with this thing? We can't get, you know, we're not drawing any. They put the Cup Winners in the, in, the, uh, in the UEFA Cup and Europa League, is what they call it now, and, and figure out a new format. So, um, you know, so we'll see. I mean, UEFA's always going to try to make the you know, if, if you can credit them with something, they always do something to keep their product fresh. Um, you know, so I, it would not surprise me to see some kind of change, whether it's something that, that what Emma Gab was suggesting or, or something totally different. So what do you guys think? Go to Exodus, sit down on Twitter uh, or on Instagram. Give us your ideal uh, European uh, club uh, competition uh, and how it would work. So... Uh, real quick previews here, Richard. Uh, week action, a lot of teams in action. The Marquee game early on Tuesday. Inter at home against Australia. Uh, is Jeff Paolo's team for real? Can they do the Can they do the San Siro? Can they get on the path and do the San Siro double like they did last year, being Inter and Milan both in the San Siro? Um, uh, how do you like this one? And uh, give me a prediction. Oh man, this is going to be a tasty encounter because you're going to see what really both teams are made of. You know, how is Inter going to take on a guy? How are they going to you know handle a team that's on fire as as Sampdoria are, um, and at home? And how is Sampdoria going to react to another you know a, a, a title contender in Inter, which which they are right now? They're only I think one point off. Um, this is going to be a chess match for sure. Um, hopefully, it's not a zero zero game, kind of like the Napoli Inter game. I'm, I, I think some goals are going to be scored here. I do like to ride the hot hand. I do think I do like the way uh, Sampdoria are playing right now. I'm not going to take any anything from that five nothing win they had today, but everybody else they've been playing has been uh, you know such a great 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 way to see them scoring and the way they're playing with their youngsters. I've got I'm going to go with um, Sampdoria to enter one. Okay. Yeah. It's tough to call. Sampdoria are going to flood the middle of the park. They're going to make it hard for guys like Borja Valero, uh, Joao Mario, and those types of players. It's going to make it hard on Mauro Icardi. So uh, where it's going to work for them is going to be wide with the likes of Antonio Carreira and Edesic. 
so that's where Inter are going to get their joy in this game. Sampdoria is a team that looked like they can hit them from the break, and I'm not totally convinced that this Inter defense has it all there yet. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And, uh, you know, they've obviously turned in some good performances. They shut out Napoli, so it's, it's very amazing that I'm even saying that. Yeah. Um, but uh, I wonder if that going to Napoli and getting that clean sheet and, and working as hard as they did took a little bit out of them, where Sampdoria got to lose a little bit. Uh-huh, a letdown, a letdown effect. Yeah, you know, you know, it might be a little bit of a letdown effect. Sampdoria is certainly going to be motivated to prove that they're for real. However, I'm play this one safe. I'm going to say this is going to be a 1-1 draw. Okay, okay. I think that both teams will battle. I think that they'll be happy with the point. Um, and, uh, and, and it'll go from there. I think that uh, I think that Inter will generate more of the chances. I think Gianpaolo will just try to keep things compact. I think there'll be a lot of uh, a lot of crosses and a lot of width being offered up by uh, players like Candreva and Perez. Like I said, Diambrosio going forward. Uh, you know, meanwhile coming back the other way, I think that Sampdoria is going to have the makeup to be able to do it through the middle. Uh, where a gas is going to be important, where a Zubat's pocket is going to be important, and obviously those those midfield battles in Sampdoria, especially with Torreira. So uh, I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw there. All right. Uh, old man Claudio with the winner for me. <laughs> uh, okay, you want to have a 1-1. I, I, I'm not going to say who's the most old, but uh, I'll just say a 1-1 draw. All right, very good. All right, and then finally Saturday, uh, a big game for these two teams for very different reasons, Milan and Juventus. Milan needing points and getting them working their way back up the table. Juventus trying to uh, continue to put pressure to the team now, putting pressure on the leaders instead of being the uh, chase team. Um, at the San Siro, last time this fixture, 1 0, Manuel Ocatelli with that magical goal that sent Milanese through the stratosphere. Richard, uh, how do you see this one going down? So this game is at San Siro? Huh. Um, I mean, I don't like the way Milan is playing right now. But with Banucci out, I think that's going to reinforce the team to play better. Montella has been proven to play well against the good teams, and they play down to the, to the lesser opponents. Um, Inter has been helter-skelter. Even though they have been winning it, just they have been doing it convincingly. Ooh, I'm going to say... 2-2, draw. 2-2, draw. Okay. We've been talking about Milan being a progression. Yep. Being it taken longer than everybody has wanted and is happy with. The pressure is obviously on Vincenzo Montella. Milan are under more pressure in this game than he met this. There is yes. Yes. We've talked about this. Bonucci being suspended is going to put some pity. I think that creates some concentration among the rest of the defenders and the rest of that league. Um, Lucas, Lucas Delia, I think, will have a little more freedom to dictate things. Um, our friend Adam Aglisi is always concerned about the fact that Bonucci and Delia are both so deep lying in their positions that you wonder who gets to be the playmaker, and it's almost a struggle for it. Uh, you know, so that pressures off Delia a little bit. We're concerned with Milan. There's no Jack possibly in this game on Saturday. He's already out, uh, I think. Well, possibly. Well, definitely Kiev and possibly out next game. So if they're forced to go back into this 4-3-3, um, you know, it's, it's you're, you're looking at a Borini or possibly a Chalanolu, uh, you know, operating on that, you know, on that left wing uh, in this game. For Juventus, 
you've got Miro Lupianic, uh, you know, in great form. You've got uh, you've got you know, Paulo Dybala can pop up at any time. Although this isn't a away game for him, and we've had that conversation about them, uh, you know, in the past. And they've got so many dynamic players. However, even though the results aren't there, Milan have been making progress. I don't like how Juventus are defensively right now. Uh, I think they have some real problems, and I think that this is the validation win for the Rossoneri. They are going to win. They're going to beat Juventus. Hmm. The score is going to be 2-1. 2-1. Wow. I like it. And they're going to be back in this 4-3-3. Suso's going to be high on the right. He's going to be able to get to do his thing. And I think he's going to be the best player in the match. He's going to score, and he is going to provide. And this is where Andre Silva will get his first Serie A goal. Ah. Uh, I hope I hope so. That'd be great. Come at the moment, come at the man. That's right. That's right. Now, now let me take off my red and black colored glasses and put a bow on this edition of Sydney on TikTok. Time for the uh, social media and shameless plug. Uh, Richard, where can we find you and what are you up to? Um, you can find me at r underscore Carmen. Uh, what am I up to? I'm up to the same old stuff. You know, mostly waiting on your blogs every week to read them. Oh, I know, I know. I just haven't got around to it. I, I got the, I got two coming, on, two in the works. I just haven't got my ass in gear. Yeah.